0: Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. Friends, we continue today with our Lenten journey as we challenge ourselves to have our perspective changed. Once again, I have a Bible study for you. This time, uh, it'll be me walking you through the story of Jesus turning water into wine. Seems like a straightforward story, a pretty fun little party trick that Jesus does, but there's actually so many deeper layers to this story that really sort of set up the trajectory of Jesus' entire mission and ministry. So I'm going to take you through that, hopefully change your perspective a little bit about how you think of this particular story. Really hope you enjoy it. I had fun putting it together. It's a really cool Bible story. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing uh, the link to this podcast with family and friends, other people who might be interested in having a little bit of spiritual renewal throughout their week. Uh, please uh, continue to share, continue to listen, but now enjoy this change of perspective on John chapter 2, the story of Jesus turning water into wine. Just in time, friends, just in time for St. Patrick's Day later this week, I am going to be taking you through a Bible study about one of Jesus's most famous miracles, the miracle of water into wine. I know, you're so excited. But since this is our Lenten series and we're looking at a change in perspective, hopefully I'm gonna give you some new things to think about because this is always every college student's absolute favorite Bible story of how Jesus turned water into wine. I literally remember in my college film class that there was one group that made a film where a character, an individual who had very long hair and a long beard who kind of looked like our typical picture of Jesus, Yes, they had him turn water into wine as a part of their movie because they thought it was so funny that the Jesus-looking character would do something like this. Uh, But what if this miracle is about so much more than that? What if this miracle actually reveals the arc and the focus of Jesus's ministry? No, I'm serious. (laughs) Um, I wanna dive into it. I'm so excited to bring this to you to give you a new perspective. If you wanna follow along, uh, this miracle is only found In the Gospel of John, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, only place that you can find this story, uh, which is funny that it it has become uh, so many people's favorites. All right, so let's look at John chapter 2. You know how I like to do these Bible studies. We're going to go verse by verse, and I'm going to give you little stories, and we're going to take like a half hour on each verse. I know, I know. I hope you have a lot of dishes to do or a really long walk ahead of you. But thanks for tuning into the podcast, and let's just get started. Uh, John chapter 2, starting at verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Okay, so the first question you need to ask yourself whenever the Bible gives you details is you need to start thinking about, okay, what is the significance? Help me understand what these details are. On the third day. So what is this three days after? This is three days after Jesus has called his first disciples. Notice that we're only in John chapter 2. John's gospel just got started. In John chapter 1, verses 50 and 51, Jesus is fulfilling his promise that not three days later something will happen. So he calls the disciples at the very end of chapter 1. Sorry, that's what I meant. And in verse 50 and 51, he says to them, (laughs) very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Um, so he's kind of referencing to this, that that something amazing is going to happen. And then we find out that not three days later, they're at a wedding and something amazing happens. What else is significant about this piece is that John, this water into wine is the very first miracle that Jesus performed. It was right after he called his disciples. It's right here in chapter two. So it's the very beginning. And as I said at the beginning of this podcast, is that I really think this miracle contains also um, some overarching themes. It's got a a, a meta-narrative, a broad scope that's setting up who Jesus is, what he came to do and accomplish on a wide cosmic scale. You're, I know you can't believe that we're actually going to get there with a water and a wine story. But trust me, it's really cool when you start to think that this is Jesus doing his first miracle. It's revealing all that is to come. All right. So uh, verse 2. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Well, good for them. I hope they got a plus one to boot. Um, yes, the thing about weddings, why this is also significant, again, thinking about this in terms of the broader scope of things, weddings have a strong link to messianic figures. This is in the Bible in multiple places. In Isaiah 54, Isaiah 62, Matthew 22, and Revelation 19, those are all references where it speaks about a messiah like figure. Um, And it connects it to a wedding feast, a wedding banquet, something similar to that. So really interesting, really poignant that Jesus's first miracle would take place at a wedding. Okay, now we're going to get to a really important part. Buckle up. Verse three, when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now this might not seem like a big deal in our day and age. I mean, if you go to a wedding and the wine runs out, sure, it's a bummer, the party can't continue. But we need to remember that culturally speaking, uh, um, Cana in Galilee, right? First century Palestine where Jesus was, the society operated uh, differently than ours does today. And so way back in the day, there was this type of honor and shame system. A lot of scholars have written about this, about how this honor-shame system governed in an unspoken way all of life in first century Palestine. I'm kidding you not, my first class in college was a religion course that specifically (laughs) hammered this point home. That's why I still remember it. But there was, uh, every single interaction that you had within society was more of a transaction where one person was honored and one person was shamed. And depending on how much shame you had, you know, accumulated, how much shame people remembered about you, that affected who you could do business with, who who would want to do business with you. Your very livelihood was determined by how much honor or how much shame you had. And so when you throw a wedding it's an incredible opportunity to to build up a whole bunch of honor points within the system, right? You invite everyone in the town and they're so excited to be a part of the celebration and they wanna have a good time and they really love you and your family and everything is great, but if the wine gives out, suddenly this incredible moment that was meant to bolster your honor points becomes this incredibly shameful situation. This wedding was likely now turning into a huge tragedy for the family. We're not exactly sure what Jesus or Jesus' mother connection is to this family, uh, but they care about them enough to be at the wedding. And when we hear in verse 3 that the wine is giving out, we need to hear that with first century ears on. This family is about to encounter and endure an incredible amount of shame for having a party that has to stop early. This would affect their livelihood for likely years to come. And so Mary, the mother of Jesus, talks to him because she's ashamed and embarrassed as well. She feels the tension and the struggle for this family. She must care about them enough. She knows something has to be done. All right, so let's look at verse four. In verse four, and Jesus said to his mother, woman, what concern is that to me and to you? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, Jesus talks back to his mother. Um, <laughs> it's just so harsh of a statement, the way that he speaks to her. Um, <laughs> but, but his point, my hour has not yet come. Right? What, we need to think about it. What will happen when Jesus's hour comes? What, what, where is this all going? Thinking of this in terms as um, a prelude of what is to come. When Jesus's hour comes, shame will be destroyed forever on the cross. And the poor and the lowly will be lifted up and God's justice will reign upon the earth. This is, right, the vision of the kingdom of God that Jesus came to proclaim and to enact. When Jesus' hour has come, like I said, shame will be no more, justice will reign upon the earth, the poor and the lowly will be lifted up. So it's interesting how his hour has not yet come, and yet here we are hearing about a family who seems to be in a circumstance that could really benefit from Jesus' hour coming right now. They are about to endure incredible shame, and when Jesus' hour has come, shame will be no more. Let's keep reading. Verse five, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. (laughs) Mary knows that Jesus will still do something. So she tells the stewards to do what Jesus says. It's an interesting reminder. I like that verse a lot because if we listen to what Jesus tells us to do, shame will be destroyed. The poor will be lifted up and justice will reign upon the earth. It's just a small little verse. Do whatever he tells you. But wouldn't that be good for a bumper sticker? <laughs> Rather than John 3.16, let's get a whole bunch of John 2.5 bumper stickers out there. Do whatever he tells you. Um, Jesus comes to show us how to live um, a way so that the world can be restored. If we follow in Jesus' ways, everyone would be better off. That's what we're about here, right? Following in the ways of Jesus. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to start that movement of uh, John 2, 5 bumper stickers. I'm really looking forward. <laughs> um, I'm kidding, but still, do whatever he tells you. There, there's some real wisdom in that. Keeping, continuing on verse 6. Now, standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Okay, so these jars, um, it's not just like that's part of the miracle too. Like, oh my gosh, where did all this water come from? No, no. These jars would have absolutely been at most Jewish weddings in those days. They're there for people to wash their hands before eating, to perform the Jewish purification rite, as we learn in verse 6. And what's interesting too is it tells us that there are six stone water jars there now within Judaism the number of perfection and completion is seven of course seven days of creation and so six here the mention of six jars helps us understand that this is um, something that's not quite come to fulfillment yet six jars as the source of this miracle shows us just as Jesus said that his hour has not yet come This is not the completion of his miracles and his work. This is just a glimpse, a foretelling, as I've been saying all along. Let's keep going with verse seven. Jesus said to the stewards, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Okay, this would have been a ton of wine and a ton of water, six stone jars. Likely these jars were about 30 gallons each. And Jesus has now appeared in this way. He's ushering into the world God's abundant goodness and grace in a definitive way. The miracle centers on wine because abundant wine is symbolic of God's presence in the world in the eschatological age. All right, let me, let me break that down for you. Uh, the miracle is centered around this abundance of wine, again. An abundance of wine, six 30 gallon jugs, so much wine. But that's part of the idea too. I mentioned earlier that the prophets talk about weddings as being a place, but abundant wine is mentioned in Amos chapter nine, as well as in Joel chapter three. And so this is all right. Like Jesus just abundance, I think is a really important part of Jesus's mission too. He says that he came that we might have life and life abundantly, but just this idea of the, the extravagant generosity of God's love and grace, uh, the ways that blessings are abundantly bestowed upon us. Yeah, that's what abundant wine is getting at in Amos and in Joel. That's what all this abundant wine is getting at here. Jesus is being revealed in a way. His power is being revealed with this abundance of wine. Additionally, okay, what's really kind of interesting, this new wine that Jesus has created is contained within these old Jewish cleansing vessels, right? The, the the jars are used for the Jewish rite of purification. It's an important reminder that Jesus's mission and ministry is not a replacement of Judaism, but rather it's something new that is being born from within the old jewish traditions and we see that right here in his first miracle so much of this first miracle as i've been saying all along is is um showing us what jesus's ministry is all about okay but wait there's more verse 8 jesus said to the stewards now draw some out and take it to the person in charge of the banquet so they took it all right here's this is also cool phil The jars, Jesus says, now draw some out and then take it to the stewards, fill, draw, take. This is the movement of our spiritual life. We're called to be filled up by the presence of God, the presence of the living water, if you will, and then we're called to draw from that center to bring to the world, love and life and mercy that we ourselves have discovered. And that's the recipe for this exact miracle. Fill, draw, take. In the same way, be filled up, draw from that center, take it to the world. And the neat thing about what they, <laughs> the stewards do, right? So they took it. So they did so. They filled, they drew, and they brought it. And that's somewhere in here the miracle takes place. Verse 9 and 10 is what we read next. When the person in charge tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the person called the bridegroom and and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk, but you have kept the good wine until now. With Jesus, everything is better than it was before. Also part of his mission and his ministry. This means that the best is always yet to come. Even us today, living after Jesus's resurrection, we still live in hope of his second coming, of what awaits us after this life. The best is yet to come with Jesus. And that's exactly what the steward says to the bridegroom there. You brought the good wine out last. Wow. All right, now look at verse 11. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. The Gospel of John consistently has little, like, concluding sentences like this. And in here, right, John's telling us how to understand this story. Um, He's saying, right, this is written down. This is significant because it revealed Jesus' glory and got the disciples to believe in him. And notice how this story connects, as I've been saying all along, with everything Jesus will do. Jesus comes to save people from their shame, just like he did for the family here. Jesus comes to show us how to live, how to live the spiritual life of filling, drawing, and taking to the world. Jesus comes and brings in a, Abundance of life, an abundance of grace, an abundance of mercy, just like the abundant wine symbolized. Jesus is not replacing the Jewish religion, but Jesus is taking what is old and making it new, just as new wine was found within the old jugs of the Jewish purification rites. Jesus is always helping us to see that the best is yet to come by having the good wine served last after the inferior wine had been or having yeah having the good wine served last after the inferior wine i said that right so uh cool story huh and hopefully some new perspectives on how to think about it it's not just this fun party trick that college students like to include within their film project it is a beautiful encapsulation of all of jesus's ministry and mission that is still to come in john's gospel so hey I hope you enjoyed this. I hope it gave you some new things to think about, a little different perspective on this really cool story from John's Gospel. Uh, Share it with a family or a friend that we all like to say that, especially during this Lenten season, people might be looking for added resources like this. So we thank you for listening. We thank you for passing it along. As always, friends, stay in peace.